fulfilling God-given potential. That's, that's what I want to share with you guys um, and girls, uh, young men and women on tonight. Um, every single one of us has it. Um, just a matter of you being born and God choosing to place you on this earth. I think that's something that we inherently realize on the inside is that we're here for a reason. And that doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not, whether you like it or not, you're here and you're here tonight for a reason. And um, that's why it's really a privilege anytime you get to share with a group of people, but it's not something I take lightly tonight. So just first off, thanks to the leadership here for inviting me. But the opportunity I have tonight is... Um, it's really, I don't want to say it's strange, but my goal is to speak to each and every one of you one-on-one, -on -one, and I can't do that because there's so many of you, and yet at the same time, I believe through the Holy Spirit that I'm going to say something tonight where the Spirit of God is going to be speaking to your heart, and that doesn't necessarily happen every day. Like we'll go throughout our days and we'll talk about things together and some of it might be what you'd call meaningless or you know, a very little meaning. My hope is that there's something that you're gonna remember about tonight. We were wondering what date it was. First of February, the last Tuesday of the week, um, where you would remember to yourself that God spoke to you tonight in a, in a very real way. And that would be the beginning of a consistent conversation between you and the Holy Spirit in your life about what He wants to do in you and through you every day. And here's the thing, and it's why I got into coaching. I absolutely love sports, and I love sports because it's kind of like a, a microcosm, a really small a uh, small picture of what goes on in life every day. And I think that's why so many people connect with it. You could be a complete non-athlete and you connect with sports. And sure, there's some people who find no interest in it. And um, I'm probably not speaking to too many of those people tonight at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, right? But I just want to take two, three minutes of my message to show you what came up when I uh, YouTube greatest moments in sports. And the reason I want to do that is because in each and every one of those moments that come up, what you're going to see is that there's an opportunity that's fulfilled. And on the other side of that, I don't know if you've been on the pain of a really uh, harsh loss, but there's an opportunity also that's lost, right? There's potential that's fulfilled for one team and there's potential that's lost um, for the other team and it creates some awesome moments that you know you'll never forget probably either way it doesn't matter which side of the the coin you're on so I'm just I'm really just going to let this roll for probably about two minutes and randomly stop it in the middle and we'll get into the core of our message but fulfilling God-given potential let's watch some of this together the most traumatic ends to any Premier League season
I could sit and watch that 26-minute-long video um, all the way, all the way through, over and over and over again. And there's a reason I start my message that way. It's that um, if, if you're writing things down or you're taking notes, I, I think these two statements are, are really important for for you. The source of all joy in your life is fulfilled potential or a gain of potential. So anytime that you've um, smiled or laughed or found joy, my guess is that at the root of that moment was either that there was potential in your life that was fulfilled and came through or that there was a gain of potential, right? So there's, there's a new sibling that comes into the family and the joy that comes into that family comes from the potential that, of life that comes into that, right? You, you attend a wedding and everyone's celebrating because of the potential that comes in these two people coming together in a beautiful relationship and who are about to live life together, right? And also the realization of potential that these two people found each other and that they're going to live with each other and enjoy each other and, and have that family together. And at the same time, I know for me the toughest times in my life are and I would say all pain in our lives is from unfulfilled potential or the loss of potential. And so you, um, you get a test back, right, in class, and it's got an F on it or an E on it, whatever letters they give, um, for when you know you didn't well do as well as you could have gotten, right? And so if you feel pain, it's because you believe you could have done better. There was unfulfilled potential. And honestly, there's probably some people, right, you, you get a 65 or uh, let's say you get a 60, you didn't study for it at all, you just kind of woke up, roll out of bed. That 60 for one person that brings pain might be joyful to another person. Why? Because one person was expecting a 30 and the other one was hoping for 80, 90, 100, right? So that very same result brings two totally different reactions from different people because there's a different expectation for potential in what just happened. Does that make sense to you guys? So if the source of joy in our life and the source of pain in our life is potential, then if we're able to fulfill the God-given potential in our lives, that's where you're going to experience joy. But if your life goes unfulfilled with this potential that God has given you, that's where you're going to experience pain. And so what 
I guess I want to ask you as you're sitting here tonight, as we start to go into this message is, what have you been feeling in your life lately? If you're feeling joy, my guess is that you're fulfilling the potential that God has in your life where you are tonight. And my guess is if you're feeling pain or sorrow or hurt or confusion, it's because there's some sense of either unrecognized or unrealized potential that I'm hoping, I'm not going to share anything new with you tonight. I'm just hoping that I might be able to connect a few dots, that you might know how to get from one to three over here and from seven to ten over here, but I, I can kind of help get you from three to seven. There's not going to be a new thing that comes out of my mouth. And so I love sports because it's where life illustrates it itself over and over. All sports are essentially the same. Okay, All sports, there's a goal that you're trying to reach, and so there's this game going on, right? And so, um, you know, in the game of basketball, the goal of the game is obviously to score more points than the other team. That's how most games go. Um, unless you're a golfer, then you're trying to score less points than the other team. Uh, and then, so you have all these weird scoring mechanisms too, right? Basketball, you go one, twos, and threes. Tennis, you go by 15s and then 10s, and then by some other numbers, and you have loves in there. But in the end, right, everyone knows what the goal of the game is. And so you step out on that court, and there's all this potential in the game that's about to take place. But what you have to understand is that that's just a, a, a game within a game. So that game for us, we play tomorrow against Citadel. It's a game within a bigger game. We can win the game tomorrow and lose the season, which is the bigger game, right? And so draw that parallel back to your life. You could have a really good day and a really bad life or be a little bit less dramatic. You could have a really good day and a really bad week, right? And so when you, when you get to be great at your sport, what you understand is there's a big perspective around life and around your game that you just need to embrace completely. If you only work out as an athlete when you're on the, the, the court or the floor or the playing field that you're supposed to be on, you're not going to be the greatest athlete you could be. You're not going to fulfill your potential. I'm sure you hear it from your coaches all the time. And so if I'm just worried about the final score at the end of the game, I'm going to lose a lot, okay? So then maybe I break it down and I go, okay, well, I obviously want to be ahead at the end of the game, but to be ahead at the end of the game, it helps to be ahead at halftime. Okay, so now let's, let's kind of break that game into two games. And then you go, okay, well, to be ahead at halftime, let me try and win each possession. Okay, well, I can break that down even more. Inside each possession, let me make this cut as great as I can or make this pass as great as I can or step into every shot as well as I can. Well, if you only play the game once you're in the game, then you're still going to be behind the people that practice really well. So then you go, okay, well, now I can't just do well during the games. I have to do well during practices. But if you step outside of that, if, if you only practice well, what about the people who work out in the gym well too? Well, now you're behind them, so you have to do that well. And then you have to lift well. And then you have to eat well. And the more of your time that you're willing to commit to the potential in your life, the better you're going to do. And so that's the root of what I want to share with you, is that at your core, I think you identify with this, that there's a God-given potential inside of you. And what I want you to understand is that the more of your life that you can live with intentionality, 
the greater a chance you have of experiencing joy in your life. But that, that intentionality has to be focused in the right direction. And so let's pray together, and then we're going to get into Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to try and be in and out with you guys, but this is really a word on my heart for you all. So, Father God, we come before you now. And, um, man, I don't want to waste a moment. I really don't. I think we, if we look around and we're honest with ourselves, um, there's all sorts of people telling us that this age is the time where you don't have to live with intention, that you can just go and, and live by a whim. And Father, the more we do that, the more we just waste the days we have in front of us. And so I just, I pray that you would allow me to speak with intentionality. And, and more important than that, that you would be reaching hearts and minds and, and lives through my words, God. So as we go into the book of Matthew and see what Jesus had to say to his disciples, I pray that you would show us those very same words, us being here as your disciples. So pray that you would just speak through me um, as you've spoken through people in the past, that my words would fall and your words would remain. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Check this out. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, this is Jesus calling the disciples to him, it says, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. What did He give them? It's in bold there. He gave them what? Power. Okay. What's power really? Power over unclean spirits. Power to heal sickness. Power to heal disease. Okay. There's parts of scripture that are figurative, illustrative, meaning like um, they're metaphors for different things. You'll see that a lot in the Psalms and in the Proverbs, right? You'll see it in Song of Solomon where it's descriptive language and it's not being literal. It's just trying to paint a picture for you. And there's parts of scripture that are literal narrative. And so when the Bible says that Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and he gives them power over unclean spirits, it's not speaking figuratively. It means that if they wanted to command unclean spirits out of people, they could. That's radical. That is a radical statement in Scripture in the book of Matthew here. It means that he, they could cast them out. It means that they could heal all kinds of sickness all kinds of disease. This is literal power, nothing figurative about it, okay? What is that power if the disciples don't use it? Wasted potential. And what is that power if the disciples do go out and use it? Fulfilled potential. And so what we see here in the book of Matthew in verse 1 is, this is Jesus commanding his disciples to go out and fulfill the potential that he's placed inside of them. But to understand what's really going on here, what I want to go back and do with you is look at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Because this is chapter 10. Jesus comes out of temptation in the wilderness where he's being tempted by the devil himself, by Satan himself. And he begins his ministry. And there's words that come in the beginning of Matthew 5 where Jesus starts something that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so it starts this way. Matthew 5 verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. 
Why is this important? Because the message he's about to send is to who? Jesus is about to say something. Who is he saying it to? Is he saying it to, to everyone, no matter who they are? No. He's saying it to who? Who, come, who comes and sits? I don't do well with the non-responsive. You guys can talk back to me. Who, who comes and sits? Disciples, right? So these are people that are choosing to follow after Jesus that he's speaking to here. This isn't necessarily non-believers, right? These are people who probably, like me or like you, have at least some sort of interest in what Jesus has for them in that moment, right? And so here's what he's saying to people who are seeking him out. You ready? It's in bold because that's when you were supposed to answer. Here we go, <laughs> right? He goes, blessed are the poor in spirit. I should open my Bible because I paraphrased here. Hold on, Matthew chapter 5. Here we go. He goes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus continues to say, blessed are those. Now, if you're not poor in spirit here, are you blessed? No. If you're not someone who is mourning, are you blessed? No. He says, blessed are those who mourn. If you're not meek, are you blessed? No. Right? This is a word to those who are meek. If you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, are you blessed? In what Jesus is saying here, no. Right? So these are conditional statements. He says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're blessed for this reason. And if you're poor in spirit, you're blessed for this reason. And so he goes from this kind of optionality about what he's saying to his disciples, um, and then his tone completely changes. Verse 13, you are. Those are two really, really important words. He goes, you are. You see, we don't like to be defined, and what Jesus is doing here is he's defining every single person he's talking to with these two simple words, right? We like to define ourselves. And when people begin to define us, we, we go, there's this natural pullback where we go, you don't know me. You don't know me. And so we, we define ourselves. Uh, th just think of your social media feed, right? You continually define yourselves with what you post on your Instagram post. And at different, I'm not even saying that this is necessarily a bad thing. It all depends on how you define yourself, right? But we want to be able to define ourselves to the world around us. We don't want to be defined by others. And most of us, when we really come down to the, the, the grittiness of it, we don't want to be defined by anyone, be it Jesus, be it God. We, we kind of say that on the outside, and yet we'll continue to come back and try and define ourselves. We think we know ourselves best, which is why it rubs us the wrong way. You don't know me. I, I've lived in my body as obviously as long as I've lived. You, you know me for, for two minutes. You've seen me up here for 15 minutes now. 
Like, how can you make judgments about who I am? You know, Scripture says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, then we'll be seen face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. You might think you know yourself. Let me challenge you with this. I don't think there's anyone in your life that has lied to you more than you've lied to yourself. I don't think there's anyone who's manipulated you more than you've manipulated you. I don't think there's anyone who's hurt you more than you've hurt you. And that's something that's really tough for most people to come to grips with. Most of the pain in your life is self-inflicted. And that's not to put you into this like this deep, dark place. It's, it's just a, a reality because we're continually trying to define ourselves. And Jesus here, he goes to these people that are following him as disciples, sitting down at his feet, waiting to hear a message. And he goes, you are. And he brings definition to who they are. Jesus is the only one who should define who we are. And so what does he say you are? You are what? Salt of the earth, light of the world. It's verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, what happens here is Jesus says to the people, he defines them in this way, you are salt, you are light. How much choice do they have here? Absolutely zero. With the, with the blessed are those, well, they might or might not fit into those categories. But every single one of those people who sat there when Jesus was speaking, and every single one of you here tonight that are believers or seeking God in your life, guess what? Salt, light, two things. You don't get to choose. And so I, I feel like lots of Christians, lots of people were kind of in this place of, you know what, I, I can kind of hide and not be seen, and that's okay, and I can kind of do my own thing, and there's no real ramifications behind it. I'll bring this right back into the sports realm, right? There's lots of athletes who feel like the only way that they can contribute to what's going on is when they're actively in the game, okay? And when they get pulled out, it, their chance to contribute is done. And what happens is when you gain the perspective that no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, God has you to contribute from where you are. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize sports because it's the same thing, even for non-believers. If you embrace the fact that when you're not on the playing court, you can still contribute to the, to the team being its best, that's when the team will become its best, right? Uh, so the, the sixth guy down the line, the seventh guy down the line, he needs to be able to push the starters in practice. And when the game's going on, a bench that has energy provides way more to a team than a bench that doesn't have energy. So we can see this over and over. So with us being salt of the earth and light of the world and this not being an option, there's a great responsibility that you bear. There's a great responsibility. There's a great potential for your life that whether you like it or not, 
you have that potential. And that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be one of those star athletes that we saw, you know, up there. But it does mean that wherever God has you, he has you there for a reason. And there's a way for you to do whatever he's called you to do really well. And there's a way for you to do whatever he's called you to do really, really poorly. Okay. Not everyone's one of the top five on the court. Okay. But there's a way to be a really good bench player and a way to be a really bad bench player. There's a way to suck energy from the team. There's a way to give energy to the team, okay? There's going to be some people who are CEOs in here. There's going to be some people who are just employees in here. There's going to be some people who are accountants. There's going to be some people who might end up being janitors. There's going to be some people, uh, I don't care what your occupation is. I don't care what your status is. There's going to be some people who might be millionaires in here, billionaires in here. There's some people who might fall on hard times and end up on the street. And wherever God ends up allowing you to be that does not diminish the amount of potential in your life and how well you can live from wherever you are. Okay? And I want you to see what happens next. He calls them to something great. He calls the disciples to something great. He bears all this responsibility on them and he says, you know what? You're salt and you're light whether you like it or not. And you know what happens if you're tasteless salt? You basically ruin things. And if you're tasteful salt, you season things. And well, if you're the light of the world and people can see, they'll be able to navigate. And if you're hidden, that just brings destruction. And then you know what he tells them? He tells them what they're called to is impossible. Okay? If you look after verse 16... In verse 17, what Jesus starts to say is he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill it. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, um, by no means pass from the Lord till all of it's fulfilled. Whoever breaks one of these commands, he continues to go on. What I want you to see is, starts in verse 21. Check out what he says. Let's see if I want to skip a verse first. No. Yep. He says, unless your righteousness, this is verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking to believers here, right? And he's talking about how, how well they need to work to fulfill the potential that God's placed in their life. And then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you understand how hard a task he just gave them here. Like Pharisees were known for just like being the religious dudes. Okay, and they just they knew all of Scripture and they they followed it to a T and they were seen as like the most righteous people in their time. And Jesus comes out and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds these people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and he says this over and over. You have heard it said. So Jesus goes, you might think the standard's here, but it's actually here. And I'm, I'm going to skim through these with you guys for, for the sake of time. But please read these on your own time. He goes, you've said that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Right? Murdering, okay, I, I can handle not murdering. But whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother... Oh, that's me. Whoever's angry with his brother without a cause, still me, okay, shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, 
Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay, I, I probably fall into that category. Admit it before you guys tonight, right? And so he continues on. Let's go to the next one. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, I'm good on that one, right? But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Vulnerable? Done that before, right? And so I'm 0 for 2 right now. So you continue to go through these, right? And even though we thought the bar was here, now the bar is actually here. So as Jesus speaks to every one of his disciples and he speaks to me and you tonight, what he's saying is you have potential in your life that you're called to fulfill, whether you like it or not. And you know what? You can't do it. How crazy is that? That Jesus would call you to something that you have no ability to do. Like, I, I think one of the things that the enemy does really, really well is he speaks truth. But he doesn't speak the complete truth. Like, when the enemy tells me I'm a failure, it's not that I'm not a failure. Like, it rings true in my heart and, and, and brings pain because I know I am. You ever, have, you, you ever have that feeling at the end of a game that it was your fault? Like, the team lost and it was on you? Or there's something that you could have done to, to change it and you didn't do it, and so you just bear that responsibility? And, like, people can come up to you and say it's not your fault, but you know they're just trying to make you feel better. One of my greatest fears in life, and just speaking from a point of vulnerability, is that I'm going to pass away one day and people are going to have to lie at my funeral. Like, have you, have you been to a funeral where... You just felt like people were saying the nice thing because it was the nice thing to say. Because, really vulnerable. I grew up with a mom as an alcoholic, or an alcoholic as a mom. Sometimes it felt like vice versa, right? And, like, she had all this potential to be an incredible mother. And she was when she was fulfilling that potential. And yet, the pain that her action caused in my life, for some reason, I just remember at my funeral, people, not at her funeral, people, it, honestly, it felt like there was a piece of me that went, but that was, that was 10 years ago now, maybe 11 years ago now. People would come up to me and say things, and I'd be like, yeah, like, I get it, but no. I get it, but no, your mom was such a nice person. Your mom was this, your mom was that. She loved you so much. And like, were those things lies? No, but like, such unfulfilled potential. Such unfulfilled potential. And I don't want people to have to act like my life fulfilled its potential at my funeral. Like, I, I want to know that I brought that joy, that I brought that meaning, that I made the people around me better, that I affected lives of, maybe it's just you guys in this room just for tonight, and maybe it's one day as a head coach of a program where year after year I have the, the, the legacy of bringing people in, you know, I don't know what God has for me yet, but just that I would live each day fulfilling that potential, and that nobody would have to lie to me and say, you know what, John, that, that was great, because they feel like, it's the right thing to say. And so when Jesus comes out and he says, you're called to this. And then he comes out and he says, but the bar that you thought was here is here and you're going to fall short over and over and over again. 
This is all through not just chapter 5, but chapter 6 and chapter 7. He's calling people to things that they, they, they can't do. Like he's saying not to judge people. How many of you guys don't judge people? Do not judge lest you be judged. Like, okay, like, that's not very easy. Well, make sure you take the, the log out of your eye before you're taking the speck out of other people's eyes. Guilty of that one every single day. Every single day. And these aren't, these aren't small, insignificant things. Like These are things that, as much as you might think you're not as much a sinner as someone else, it was the same price that was paid for your sin as anyone else's. Like, I think there's some aspect of us where we don't recognize the humanity in each other in a good way or a bad way. You think of your athletic hero on the court, like, they roll out of bed the same way you do and put their socks on one at a time, right? And you think of the worst person in the world that you can think of, they roll out of bed the same way you do and they probably put their socks on one at a time. Okay. And that goes for... Usain Bolt on the track, and that goes for Hitler back in Germany. And so, like, what's the difference between the two? And what stops you from being capable of doing one and not the other? The answer is only what Jesus does in your heart and in your life. And when you recognize that's what separates you from being the greatest of greats and the most hurtful and harmful of harmfuls, like that's really, really humbling to understand just how evil I can be as a person, but just how great I can possibly be as well. Like, and that it all relies on what God is going to do through me. So the Sermon on the Mount comes to a close and people leave astonished. Why? Because it says here at the... Uh, I think it's the end of chapter 7 here. Let's just go to the end of chapter 7 and see what it says. Verse 28, And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. And here's the reason, verse 29, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, they don't just hear his words and know. They feel his words and bear responsibility. There's a difference. You go in and you, you hear what your math teacher is teaching you about math, and now you know math. You don't bear any responsibility from there to go and do something. And so they would hear the scribes and the Pharisees, and it's like, okay, i got to do this, this, this. When Jesus spoke, they felt this burden of responsibility on their lives where they recognized this guy is teaching with authority. Those guys, they told me stuff that I know I'm supposed to do, but this guy, as he speaks, like, I'm commanded to go out from here and do something. And so the, the point I want to make from all of that is that life's not about things being easy or else Jesus wouldn't call us to this thing that is so much greater than we can do. Okay, Life's not about things being easy. It's just about things being worth it. And, and things that are true are just true across the board. And so here's what's really I don't want to say deceiving, but this is just as true for non-believers as it is for believers. Um, that you step out on the playing field, and again, like your sport, you're going to excel in your sport when you don't care about how easy it is. You just understand that the pain you're going through is worth it. 
right? Where you're, where, you're, where you're willing to say, you know what, I know I need to sacrifice this for us to achieve our goals, but I'm willing to because I believe it's worth it. And that, you know what, maybe, maybe I'll fall short, but I know my best chance to succeed comes from doing all these different things. And you, you remember something about all of those videos? It wasn't just the athlete that scored the goal or hit the home run or kicked the ball that was enjoying those moments, right? The ball is in the air and it's curling towards the net. And what happens? You have a stadium full of 200,000 people and all of them together are standing up in anticipation of what's about to happen, right? There's potential there. And if that ball, how, how crazy is this, right? Sports are really stupid when you think about it. <laughs> Like, really, really silly. We, we set up a rectangle. We're going to put a net in that rectangle. We're going to have a, a rubber sphere here. And we're going to run around 11 on 11. And we're going to kick this. And we're going to continue to kick it until one of us gets it in that goal. And we're going to play for about 90 minutes, plus or minus 5, plus or minus 10, whatever it ends up being. And then we're going to call it a game from there. Right? And how silly is that? But that's, that's, that's what ends up happening over and over. And this ball, this rubber ball in this game that we've constructed is curling towards the net. And you have 200,000 people who have never stepped on that pitch in their life. And they're collectively gasping because whatever happens is about to bring them joy or it's about to bring them pain. There's potential that's about to be fulfilled or there's potential that's about to be lost. And that's what I love about sports and that's what I love about life and here's what I love about scripture it's that the gospel is continually within the gospel and so when Jesus calls us to do something that's literally impossibly hard and then he raises a standard from there what he got what he goes and does in chapters 8 through 10 is the gospel inside the gospel here we go right calls people to something impossible, and then what does he do from here? Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals the centurion's servant. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He calms the winds and the waves, and also saves the people on his boat by doing that. Demon-possessed men are healed by Jesus. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus restores a woman to life. Jesus heals another woman who's bleeding. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus makes a mute man speak. Okay, check this out. He tells you you have a responsibility that you can't fulfill. He then raises the bar on that responsibility. He then shows you how you will never meet up to that standard. And then what does he do? He heals people that can never heal themselves. Over and over and over and over and over again. That leper was never going to be able to change his own skin. That blind man was never going to be able to see. The centurion's servant was never going to be healed. Peter's mother-in-law was going to die. The winds and the waves weren't going to calm themselves. The demon-possessed man had been demon-possessed as long as he could remember. The paralytic wasn't going to be healed anytime soon. The woman wasn't going to be healed. The two blind men weren't going to be able to make that go away. The mute man was mute for a reason. And every single time he met them where they were at and gave them new life. And like, he, he might have done it in a way where they didn't like literally have new life, 
but whatever was causing them to be in bondage, they were now free from. And that's the gospel inside the gospel. The point of the gospel is that Jesus is what we never could be. And so as you feel this sense, rightfully so, of potential inside of you, and as you feel this sense, rightfully so, that you are not reaching that potential, and you feel that guilt, and you feel that shame, if you want to experience joy in your life, wherever you are today, look to what Jesus has you to do. Okay? Back to Matthew 10. When he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, heal all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. You see, what Jesus did is he sends his disciples out with power to do what he called them to do. He sends them out with potential saying, you are salt and you are light. And just like that, we in this room are part of a story that's way bigger than ourselves. And so what I would ask you to do is just embrace this moment in surrender. Embrace this moment in humility. Each and every one of those people who is brought to Jesus or comes to Jesus in chapters 8 and 9, they subject themselves to what God has for them. They say, you know what? I know I'm not in control, but you are. And the more often that you're willing to do that as an individual, again, it doesn't matter where you are, that's where you're going to begin to experience joy in your life. I still find it crazy. Tomorrow we're going to be playing in Timmins Arena and there's going to be people that come out and watch us play as a basketball team and it really doesn't make sense. Like, it's not like they've played for Furman before. They're just invested in our basketball team in some sort of like a really weird way. And like, but all of us have that feeling. Like you have your favorite sport team, you have your favorite athlete, you have the team that you participate on, you have the family you're a part of. We all have, have this sense of being a part of something that's greater than ourselves. And it's because we are. We're all a part of something greater than ourselves. And so if you're wondering what it takes, First Chronicles says this. It says, if my people, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his people at, uh, at the beginning of Matthew. I'm speaking to you tonight. Hopefully God's speaking to you right now. He says, if my people who are called by my name will do this. Check this. Humble themselves. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. If you're not experiencing joy in your life, I suggest you write these things down. First Chronicles. If my people will... Humble themselves, not an easy thing to do. Pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then what? I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And that promise, just as real as it was in First Chronicles to the people of Israel, is the same promise Jesus has for you. Same exact promise. We are called to repent, humble yourselves, repent and pray, seek God's face, and turn from your wicked ways.
And that's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. It, 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 like I talked about with, with things. This isn't something you do at the end of the game. Right? If you try and do it at the end of the game, like, you might be safe, but you're not going to experience joy in your life. You're going to end up on the wrong side of the potential scoreboard. If you try and check yourself at halftime, right, and you, you get to the, what you might consider the midway point in your life, and you go, at, you, go you know what, my, my college years, they're going to be mine. I'll just check myself at halftime and then kind of go along the way. It's wasted potential. And so if you go, you know what, we're just going to take it by media timeout. We're going to go every four minutes, we're just going to check ourselves again and then try and do our, our best again. Okay, well, now you're getting better. You're getting closer. But it's not a weekly battle. It's not a daily battle. It's a, what am I called to do right now? And so here's what I'd ask you to do right now. Just, just take a moment wherever you are in your seat and Maybe some of you believe, and for those of you who believe this will be a, a little bit easier, I just want you to close your eyes and just between you and the Lord right now, say, God, like, where am I? Because you know me better than I know me. What are areas of my life that I need to surrender to you that I'm holding on to? Help you think of some of those things. Where are you experiencing pain in your life? What are the things that really, really hurt you? What are the things that have you angry? What are the things that have you frustrated? What are the things that, like, just crying deep tears over and feeling hurt and sorrow over? And as you think of those things, give them to the Lord. And I don't mean give them to the Lord like, like it's just... They're his now and you're not going to have to worry about them anymore and they'll just be out of your life. But just like, God, what do you have me to do in these situations? And just pray for an answer on that for a second, if you would. So whatever it is silently right now, would you pray to the Lord, God, this is on my heart and you know what's on my heart. And so I just want to release it to you and ask you, what do you have me to do? And trust that as you do that, He'll heal that land in your life. I pray that even right now, God's giving some of you guys answers. That as you sit there and you're one-on-one, -on -one, and the Spirit's hopefully speaking in your heart, that you would just recognize what that next one step might be. You can open your eyes. If I can encourage you real quick with this, your life is nowhere near certain. There's a guy, Abraham, in Scripture, and he's with his family. He's doing all these sorts of things. He's 80 years old, still living with his mom. Now, things were a little bit different because they lived a lot older, but 80 years old hasn't done much. And God calls Abraham out, just like I believe he's going to call each and every one of you to something. And you know where Abraham goes? He didn't either. He just took that next step in faith. He just took that next step in faith and he said, you know what, God? The book of Hebrews, he, he's in the hall of faith. Just like athletes want to be in the hall of fame. Hebrews 11, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And that's all I ask of you guys tonight. 
I think that's all the Lord asks of you guys tonight and girls. That you would go out not knowing where you're going, but knowing who you're serving. Not knowing where you're going, but knowing who you want to chase after and who you want to place as the priority in your life. And the rest will take care of itself. You ever hear that phrase in sports, the score will take care of itself? What do you have to focus on? Process. What's that next step in your process? You keep it God-focused, you're going to be exactly where He has you to be, and you're going to be experiencing joy each and every night. And the moment it becomes about you, and the moment you become God in your life, that's where you're going to start to experience pain again. And that's also how the book of Hebrews can say that when Jesus was nailed to the cross and was experiencing physical pain, what did he really experience? For the joy that went before him. He experienced the cross for the joy that went before him because that's what he was called to do for his Father in heaven. No matter where you are, no matter what God calls you to, days from now, months from now, years from now, I just pray that in each and every one of your lives, it would be God-focused. And just like those athletes on that screen that would kick a ball into the net, and 200,000 people would rise to their feet. And millions of people would, would watch from their TV sets. Have you ever seen those reaction videos, right? The Bengals win and the, the Cincinnati Bengals fan who hasn't seen anything good happen in their lives, right? They, they finally get to experience that. It happened with the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. They hadn't won it in so many years. Just like they have that audience with us, we have that audience with angels in heaven. And honestly, we have that audience with each other. And I think that's why we appreciate greatness when we see it so much. If I can selfishly, and it doesn't feel right to do this, but at the same time, I'm going to do it. If you're sitting in this room tonight, I want to challenge you to come out to our game tomorrow as a basketball team. Because I truly believe that there's something different about our team. I truly do. In that, it's not like we're a bunch of super spiritual guys. We're not like the average college kids, just like the rest of you. But what we're doing is we are fulfilling potential as a team. And our, our goal is more than winning a game. Our goal is to bring this campus together and just recognize that there's something greater about the university here. And in so doing that, like the environment and, and what you all are able to contribute being fans there like, it's not insignificant. Not only is it not insignificant, it is very significant. Like, the amount of energy that enters into the building, the amount of, the, like, I, I can't put it into words. I can't put it into words. And so I, I just encourage you, come out. Come out tomorrow and, and see what happens. See what happens when a campus embraces, not that you guys haven't embraced our team, you totally have, but see what happens when the student body comes out and the energy fills the room. And just understand that what's happening tomorrow at 7 o'clock is just a glimpse of heaven. And that's why people love sports so much. It's because when that game is being played, we're getting a little glimpse of heaven. That's also why nobody loves to watch a loser. 
And you might kind of chuckle about that, right? But when there's no energy in the room and when teams are losing and it's unfulfilled potential over and over, what are you reminded of? The pain in your life. But when we experience joy together as one community, what are we reminded of? A greater calling. And it's just supernatural. It's supernatural. Whether you like it or not, that's what's going through your head. So, Father God, we come before you now. Just as a group of people, I feel like there's possibly two groups here tonight, especially with roommates in the room that may not know you. There's groups of people that are believers and probably feel like they're falling short in ways, and the enemy is quick to remind us of that. And uh, I just pray that in that feeling that we're having of falling short, that we would acknowledge that as a truth, but that we would remember to complete the truth with we were never enough. And it's you that allows us to be enough. And Father, even if there is one person like this, I want to speak to that person as well, where they don't know anything about you relationally. They've never felt your spirit in their life. But for some reason tonight, they have that tug knowing that there's something more. And you've been speaking to them tonight for the first time. I pray that whether it's their roommate that they choose to share that with, whether it's just a private conversation with leadership here, that, that they would just speak that to someone tonight. That they would be willing to say, you know what, I, I don't know, I don't have any sort of a relationship with God. I don't have any sort of a relationship with Jesus. But if it's real, I want one. And that you would just take over from there. Father, I pray that we'd be faithful in the little things, that we'd be faithful in the process, that we'd be quick to repent. And uh, so I just do that tonight, Lord. I pray that you would fill me anew, that you would help me to do what you've called me to do and do it well, that nobody would have to lie at my funeral, God, that it would just be a life for me filled with potential, a life for each and every one of these young men and women just absolutely filled with potential, that the angels in heaven would rejoice, that we would arrive one day at your feet to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.